Please turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And, you know, a lot of the verses that we read, I know that you probably have them memorized, or if not word for word memorized, memorized enough to where you know what they are. But it's good to read them. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Well, that tells you right there, you're in a battle. And it's going to be like that until we go on to be with the Lord or He comes back and receives us. We're constantly in a fight. And the last part about that is uh, that you know you professed a good profession before many witnesses. The fight of faith is a fight that is one that will carry us through to the end. But whether we do it or not is up to us. God will not fight it for us. And I know we talk about when the battle's not ours, it's the Lord's. But as far as what we do on a day-to-day basis, let me just say it like this. God did not fight Jesus' battles for Him. But yet, the battle was not Jesus, it was the Lord's. You say, well, what's that? I don't get it. The battle's not ours, it's God's. Meaning, if we try to fight it in our own ability, there's failure. But it's God's because, like, like the Apostle Paul wrote, that God's grace is sufficient. So therefore, based on His strength, you know, through, you know, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. So, His strength in us enables us to fight the battle. I hope that's clear. And our profession. What is our profession before many witnesses? When it comes to the fight of faith, what is our profession? On November 26, 1982, one of the most amazing, if you will, heavyweight championship fights took place in the Houston Astrodome between... Tex Cobb and Larry Holmes. Some of you, if you've seen it, you only watched the reruns because you weren't awake back then or even born. But I think I watched that fight. It was brutal. It was horrific. That was before that they limited boxing matches to 12 rounds. This one was 15 rounds and it went the entire 15 rounds. Larry Holmes was known as one of the hardest punchers in, in all levels of boxing. 
He was devastating. And he continued to beat and pound and pound and beat and just tear Tex Cobb to shreds. Beat him to a pulp. But no matter how hard he hit Tex Cobb, Cobb just kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back. It was almost like he couldn't feel the punches. And Larry Holmes was hitting him as hard as he could. And at times, Cobb wasn't even able to fully defend himself. And Holmes just blasted him all over the ring. How many of you remember a man named Howard Cassell? Well, Howard Cassell used to call boxing matches. He was referred to as the mouth that roared. And he was calling this particular boxing match, and as the fight went on, he began... I'm sure they couldn't hear him in the ring. I don't know if they could. He was ringside, but he uh, was saying, why isn't the referee stopping this? Why isn't the referee stopping this? This is crazy. This is ridiculous. And toward the end of it, um, Howard Cassell said, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I will never again call another boxing match in my life. And he didn't. It was horrible. But Tex Cobb lasted all 15 rounds. Now Larry Holmes won. It was a unanimous decision. But at the end of it, Tex Cobb, you know, he's got his arm around Larry Holmes like they're buddies. It was weird. It's crazy. Larry Holmes later said that um, Tex Cobb was the toughest fighter he ever went up against. Not by virtue of how hard Tex Cobb could hit, but the fact the guy could take a punch and he wouldn't drop. You couldn't knock him out. It was crazy. Tex Cobb could have given up. And I'm sure his handlers in the corner were saying, come on, Tex, man, let's throw in the towel. But he didn't give up. He wouldn't stop, no matter what. He would not stop. He kept going back, kept going back, kept going back. He lost, but he wouldn't stop. Absolutely would not stop. And somebody asked him about the fight later on. says, you know, what's going on? He said, well, my strategy was this. I was going to beat him with my face. But the fight was too short. He wouldn't stop. This is what this verse is talking about. Fight the good fight of faith. Too many of us want to give up. And what we're going through right now in this country is a, is a fight. Because there are too many people, too many Christians out there who by virtue of their look at the end of verse 12, their profession, it's not a good profession before many witnesses because they are professing. Literally, what they may not understand it this way, but they are professing the end of this nation as we've known it. When they come into agreement with liberal media concerning the outcome of the elections, not, that, not just presidential, but all the way down. When they come into agreement with the liberal media, they are coming into agreement with the downfall of this nation. And it's not a good profession before many witnesses. If we're going to fight the good fight of faith, we have a responsibility 
to keep fighting and keep fighting and keep fighting the profession of our faith. We cannot give up. We absolutely cannot give up. And if you listen to a lot of people, they're going to tell you, well, it's over. It's over. One state after another, they say, well, it's over. It's over. Is that what you want to come into agreement with? Look, do you not realize it's not over? As of this night, President Trump is still the President of the United States and we have not had a swearing-in of the next President. So it's not over. Why would you say that? Why would you even think that? Sometimes it's almost like some folks, you know, they may not say it like this, but their demeanor, their confession, whatever, may come across as all hope is gone. But... How is it gone when you serve a risen Savior? How is hope gone? Some people would say, well, you know, Pastor, I think you need to get your head out of the sand and face reality. (laughs) The reality is this. Jesus Christ is alive. He's not going to be replaced by anyone. And I know this. Because I belong to Jesus Christ and I continue to fight the good fight of faith, I win regardless of what anybody else does. I win. I win. Now, you can win too if you want to. It's up to you. But I win. You say, but what if the election does go the wrong way? I still win. You say, how do you figure you still win? Because when I stand before God, I'll be able to say, I didn't quit in the 12th round. And you've got a bunch of Christians that are quitting in the 12th round, the 13th round, the 10th round, however you want to describe it. They're quitting. And I don't want to be that kind of a fool. Because that's exact, because see, listen, the moment you, you take that kind of a belief, that position is the moment you're saying you really don't trust God the way you say. And I don't want to be in that camp. Guys, I'm telling you, the separation between the followers and the wannabes is becoming greater and greater and greater in the body of Christ. I don't even... Every now and then, you know, you can be around people and they, they let something slip. You know, well, when you know, so-and-so is president, it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what? Why would you say that? Oh, well, no, what I mean is, you know, we're still believing, we're still believing... <laughs> no, you're not. Well, I didn't mean it the way it sounded. Yeah, you did. That's because your hope is not established by the Word of God. We're in a fight. And a lot of people, Christians, man, they just don't get it. See, um, I, I was sharing, well, try to keep this short. I have a book on my shelf at home. It's over 700 pages long. And it talks about what was taught in the early church during and right after the time of the apostles. There are about maybe 30, 40 different um, what you would call church fathers who are quoted by virtue of their writings. 
And in the early church, now granted, you have to understand this has been interpreted from the original languages into um, English. One of the things that they wrote is that abortion is murder. Doing anything to cause the end of a pregnancy is murder. Now, this is what they taught in the early church. So it's not just a matter of, well, you know, you, you don't know what's... I mean, really? I don't see that in Scripture. But this is what was taught in the early church, and it's documented. It's not in the Bible, but it's documented by those who are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what they taught. And some of them may have uh, actually taught in... Well, they did. They taught in some of the churches that are mentioned here in Scripture. For example, you know, they talked about ordaining elders. Well, some of these guys would have been those elders. And they wrote down for posterity what they taught. They wrote their own letters. They wrote about um, homosexuality. It's a sin. It's wrong. You don't do it. And I'll probably at some point in time read some of these things to you. Because it confirms that it wasn't. It's not. See, Christians today, we say that, uh, you know, well, these things are wrong. Then you've got people out there who say, well, no, it's not really wrong. You know, that's not really what God said. Well, okay, if it's not, then how come the early church fathers were teaching this? Where'd they get it? I could go on with, you know, that line, but I'm not. What I'm saying is we're in a fight and you have Christians who are throwing in the towel and they're quitting. How many of you know, remember, you've heard the stories of uh, the Battle of the Alamo? Remember that? Some of you? All of you should. If you haven't, your school stinks. I'm serious. If you're in here and you don't know about the story of the Alamo, I feel sorry for you and the school you were raised in. Pathetic. I mean that sincerely. Revisionist history. Here's the thing, when you're raised with revisionist history, you really don't know what happened. You don't. You're taught something that's not true, and then you defend it. Oh, no, no. What I was taught was, okay, you know what? Go back and do your own research. Nevertheless, Battle of the do you know that the Battle of the Alamo was not won? I mean, granted, the Mexicans won that battle, but you realize it wasn't won until the last defender died? How many of you have ever heard of George Armstrong Custer? Anybody heard? Of, who? Who? Oh, is he the guy that invented that yellow stuff I squirted on my... No, not muster. Custard. <laughs> George Armstrong Custer. You know, the Battle of the Little Bighorn wasn't won until the last soldier died. Sitting here in this room, playing the what if. What if we're the last soldiers standing? I know we're not. But see, we can't assume that every other Christian on the earth is doing anything. Now, I know of two churches where they are. There's one in Tulsa. There's one in Immokalee, Florida. But beyond that, how do you know? Well, I read things on the Internet. Well, you're right. And there are Christians and others that are fighting still. I understand that. But see, you can't rely exclusively on everybody else. We have to do our part. We're in this. 
When God says something is an abomination, He does not want people in leadership who lead into the abomination. And it's foolish. I mean, just just crazy foolish to think otherwise. God never endorses sin. Never. So if I get in the Bible... And I see that, listen, I'm not going off on a tangent right now, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this country that is sin, that should not be going on, and if Jesus Christ was in charge, they wouldn't be going on. I'll just throw one out to you right now. You would not have bars open. They wouldn't exist if Jesus Christ was in charge. Because there's no way God is going to make it legal to get people drunk. Now, you can fuss about that all you want. Just go ahead and prove your own ignorance. Search the Scriptures. And find out God's position on social matters. Now, we're in a fight. And there's no reason we should give up. Look in Ephesians chapter 6. You know, I do understand that sometimes some of these things that I share come across as rather stern or harsh. But sometimes as a shepherd, if you don't do your job, then... You're going to have to answer, well, you will answer to God for it. And sometimes as a shepherd, you know, you kind of have to get the staff out and shake things up a little bit. What do you, think about this. What did Jesus do to the religious leaders? Fools, hypocrites, blind guides. Buddy, he laid it on them. You think he was standing there? And, I mean, there's a bunch of people watching this. And he's confronting the religious leaders, the ones his people have been supporting financially. You think he look at them and says, "Oh, now, now, now you know what? You're kind of like hypocrites. You know, you're, you're kind of like vipers." Yeah, but you know, I mean, don't get offended at me now. But I mean, you're kind of like blind guides. You know, guys, come on. You think that's the way it was? No. And I'm sure while he's going at it, man, there are some people thinking, Go Jesus, go Jesus, go Jesus. You tell him, Yeah, what he said. That's right. This this war we're we're waging, it starts in the spirit, then it spills over into the natural. And in Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 10. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. If you rely on nothing but the, the, the natural way of doing things. Let me put it like this. If you rely only on the court system, you're making a mistake. What happens in the court system should be a result of the spiritual warfare. And it is. You, you read about decisions in courts and you think, I don't get it. People sit in the courtroom and they present 100% hard evidence and testimonies that there was cheating and fraud in the voting process and the court says we don't want to hear it? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That phrase, stand against the wiles of the devil, that is not simply a matter of weathering the storm. 
It's a matter of engaging the enemy in battle. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, or because of this, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, and stand therefore. What this literally means is you fight, you fight, you fight, you fight, you fight until you drive the enemy to the ground and then you stand on his throat and raise your hands in victory unto the Lord. That's what that is describing. And one of the ways that we do this, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. God is telling you right there, praying in tongues is one way to impact the enemy in this warfare. Now, if we don't do it, what? I mean, we know a lot about praying in tongues. And some people want to talk about, you know, warring tongues. And they think that what that means is that you just you pray in tongues as loud as you can. And I guess it's supposed to scare devils or something. I don't know. But it doesn't. If you're just whispering in tongues, guess what? You're releasing it. You think, when Jesus cast out devils, do you think he had to scream at the top of his lungs? He could have just, <laughs> look, come out. Come out. Come out of him, you unclean spirit. That's all it took. And I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people were astonished. He didn't scream and yell, he just spoke. He just spoke. And so here, we see praying in tongues is a way to engage the enemy in warfare. Yeah, but Brother Martin, I, I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I know you don't. Guess who else doesn't? The devil. Demons can't understand tongues. Come on, guys. Well, then how is it a, a form of warfare? Ah, I'll show you here in a minute. But it is. Doesn't it say in Scripture, over there in Romans, that when we're praying in tongues, that we're praying the perfect will of God? Yeah. So if I'm praying the perfect will of God, and God's will is for righteousness to rule in the nation, then am I not praying in tongues and declaring God's will over an election? Now, turn over to Psalm chapter 10. I started going through the book of Psalms. And there was so much similar to um, what we're going to read. It's almost—it's not shocking, it's not amazing, but because I was looking for this, I found more than I thought I would. We're only going to read some of what I found, and, and you'll see the same thing if you read through the book of Psalms. But what we're going to read, I want you to see it from the perspective of what is happening in this nation now, and I'll just say it like this, liberal versus conservative, and, and more than just conservative, Christ conservative. Does that make any sense? All right, Christ morality, scriptural morality. All right. As we read this, think of it as though it is describing what we're seeing in this nation right now. And if you look at it from this perspective, 
I think it's going to, I think you're going to see it clearly, very clearly. In Psalm chapter 10, in verse 1, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Now stop right now. As we look in the natural, there are times of trouble. And let's be honest, doesn't it kind of seem like God's not doing anything? I mean, if you just look at it in the natural, how could this happen? How could it be like this? Well, continue. Verse 2. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Okay, now stop right there. How can you persecute the poor? Well, one way is to train the poor to be 100% dependent on the government and completely squash initiative for work, for development and self-improvement. That's just one way, all right? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. Okay, so here we see a, a revelation of what the wicked are doing, but then we see the confession, the prayer. You see that? Let them be taken in their own devices. Verse 3, For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. What are we seeing right now? In this country, are the wicked not boasting of what they plan to do? I mean, there's no shame. Years ago, years ago, liberals would have been very cautious about openly declaring what we're hearing today. Now it's become boasting. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. Now that word puffeth, it means to speak, utter lies, and to kindle a fire. In other words, who, who are the enemies of the liberal? That's us, right? Are we not being puffed at? You better believe we are. Verse 6, He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be an adversity. Is that not what we're hearing right now? We're being told, give it up. Just give it up. You can't win. There's nothing you can do. Give it up. Verse 7, His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Look at that. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. That phrase, under his tongue is mischief and vanity... That is, okay, one way to describe it would be he plans things in the back room and hides them from people. I mean, that's just a way. Move on. He sitteth, verse 8, he sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. (laughs) What does that mean, in the secret places? They don't do abortions on Main Street. You follow me? His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. Now, when you, when you read this about the poor, don't always read it exclusively about people who don't have money. Also consider those who are struggling in life, whatever it would be. And he says here, he doth catch the poor when he draweth them into his net. How does he draw the, the, those people into his net? By promising them something that is not going to do them any good whatsoever. 
Verse 10, He croucheth and humbleth Himself that the poor may fall by His strong ones. He humbles Himself. He comes across as somebody who's your buddy, who's your friend. We're going to help you. We're going to turn things around. We're going to make life better for all of you. That he may fall, that, you know, the poor may fall by his strong ones. All those who are around him. All those who support him. Exactly what we're seeing now. He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. In other words, they can talk about God all they want, but in reality, they don't believe God's going to do anything. They don't really believe in God. Oh, they'll talk God if it'll get them some votes. But they don't really believe it. He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked condemn God? He has said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. In other words, the wicked are saying, I won't be accountable. I'm not going to have to stand before God. Verse 14, Thou hast seen it. Yes, that's right, guys. You need to understand God is fully aware of everything that's going on. Everything. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to require it with thy hand. The poor committed himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Now that break thou the arm, it doesn't mean, God, please come down and break their arm. That's a phrase talking about break their strengths. Break their influence. Break their power over the people. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. In other words, expose it. Bring it forth. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. What is the man of the earth? That's a man who is basically turned away from God and is doing it the world's way. Is this not describing what we're seeing happening right now in this country? It absolutely is. But look in chapter 11. In the Lord put I my trust. Right there, that's it. In the Lord put a, is, can you say that? Seriously. Because if you put your trust in the Lord, you're not going to cave in to all the, the liberal stuff that's being promoted out there right now. In the Lord I put my trust. And really we could go so far as to say this. It doesn't matter who is elected to do what. In the Lord I put my trust. How say ye to my soul, flees a bird to your mountain. In other words, all you... Now really, verse 11, it's really a continuation of verse 10. All you wicked people, how in the world can you say to my soul, flees a bird to... In other words, run, give it up. You're done for. No, no, no. I put my trust in the Lord. You can say that all you want. I put my trust in the Lord. Verse 2, For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You do understand that what's going on right now is a battle to destroy the foundations of this country. And God's telling you right here, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
But then look here, verse 4. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Get it straight right now. Based on what we see right here, just using these words in this fifth verse, all these people out there, these liberals, God hates them. Now, I do know He loves them, but He hates what's going on in their soul. Verse 6, Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. Now, I didn't do this, but it's something that could be done. We could create a confession prayer out of what we're reading here. For example, upon the wicked shall he rain snares, fire, and brimstone. I mean, we could say, Father, I pray that you rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and a horrible tempest upon the wicked in this nation. And we would not be unscriptural in doing that. Here it is. Look, sometimes, sometimes Christians, they carry the concept of walking in love to the point it becomes an enabling of wicked behavior. Now, this is going to sound really harsh and cruel to some people, but you know what? If a person's heart is that hardened, I mean, I'm talking permanently hardened to God, and God knows, beginning from the end, and He knows, they're not ever going to accept Jesus Christ. They're not. Then you know what? Aren't we better off if they just die? That's cruel, Brother Martin. Really? Turn him over for the destruction of his flesh. What do we see over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? This, look, this may seem, sound completely whacked out, but there are some people, it made, it, it'd be best for society if they just went ahead and died. But see, God knows their heart. But look at this. Pick it up in verse 12, or chapter 12. Help, O Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail among the children of men. This is what we're seeing happen in the body of Christ right now. People that you thought would be faithful, they're giving up. They're throwing in the towel. They're saying, it's over. It's done for. I mean, why, why keep doing this? Why keep interceding? It's, it's obvious what direction things are going. I don't want to be a verse one person. <laughs> I don't want to be a godly man that ceaseth. I don't want to be a faithful person that fails from among the children of men. I mean, I don't want that. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. Now, wait a second. I thought he's talking here about godly people and faithful people. Yeah, well, what's happening in the body of Christ right now? People are speaking with a double heart. Oh, I trust God, but you know what? This is the way it's going to go. I trust God, but you know we might as well accept that this is the way it is. I don't have to accept that. No, remember, we don't have a next president yet. We have a current president. And he says in verse 3, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. 
who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. You see this? Because of the, the, the righteous ones who are crying out to the Lord, God hears, and He says, Now will I arise. See that? He says He's going to arise. But we have to be the faithful ones who don't cease. We have to be the faithful ones who keep fighting. Now look at this, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. What happens when we pray in tongues? We are praying, as he says right here, we are praying the words of the Lord and they are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. When I'm praying in tongues, I am praying the absolute perfect will of God that's come straight from the throne of God. There is nothing imperfect and nothing impure about those words that I'm praying. That's why when I'm praying in tongues, I am, de- I am declaring into the realm of the natural, the will of God for something to happen. This is one of the reasons why it produces confusion in the camp of the enemy, because an anointing is being released with these words. The enemy does not know what's being confessed, but the enemy experiences the results of that anointing that's being prayed forth. This is why it's so important for us to do this. And he says in verse 7, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them, from this generation forever. But then he gives like a warning here in verse 8. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. It's like he's saying, okay, look, there's a solution to this. But if you don't do your part, then you're not giving me something that I can arise with. My words are pure. He says, I mean, verse 6, he's telling you, how to, and I'll say it like this, motivate him to arise. Give him an avenue by which he can arise. His words. His words. His words. And then he closes with the warning. I've told you. I've explained this to you. And I just, I just want you to remember that the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Well, I know how to keep vile men from being exalted. I confess. I pray. Especially praying in the Spirit. Now, you can believe all hope is gone. You can believe that it's over. But I don't. That's why I don't, I don't read the secular, liberal news stuff. Because I don't want that, I don't want that negative faith being sown into me. I'm going to continue to declare the Word of God. You know what? There are a lot of Christians out there, and I don't know who this is for, but you're going to have to come to a place in your life, man. I mean, you are going to have to come to a place whether you are going to accept the fact that God's Word is God's Word or it's not. That's just it. And you can sit around and say, well, I'm going to get my truth from someplace else. Well, you know what? You're going to be the fool that stands before God in judgment if you continue on that path, and you're going to end up hearing, department from me, I never knew you. you. You can play the church game all you want, but I'm telling you right now, this right here, the Word of God, this is it. You either accept it or you don't. This is truth. This is truth. And if God says things can change by the application of truth, 
then he means things can change by the application of truth. But it's up to us. It doesn't happen unless we do our part. Now, I'm going to lead in the confessions the ones that we handed out. And if you didn't, if you don't have those, then um, you can just repeat after me. Father, I present myself to you as one who is willing to make up the hedge and stand in the gap before you on behalf of this election. I come against the spirit of confusion that would want to impact the way the votes are counted. I declare the spirit of confusion bound in Jesus' name. According to the power and authority given to me by God in Jesus' name, I speak to you, spirit of confusion, and I command that you silence your tongue and cease your actions. You will not have an impact on this election. I come against every principality, power, ruler of darkness, and spiritual wickedness that would present a stronghold against the man God knows should be elected. I speak to you and command you to be cast out now in Jesus' name. Jesus has given to me the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven. And whatever I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Satan, you and all your devils are bound concerning this nation and this election. None of your plans for interfering with this election will succeed. I call, I call the Father's will to be accomplished. Jesus has completely and totally defeated you and all of your principalities, powers, and devils. He made an open show of you and triumphed over you for all eternity. He has given to me that same victory. I call you and everything about you and your devils completely, totally, and thoroughly defeated in this election. Satan, you and your devils have lost. The victory of Christ is known in this election. You cannot think straight to carry out your plans. You speak against other devils. And your house is divided. It cannot stand. It has come to an end. You are thoroughly and utterly defeated. You walk in blindness. Division has filled your camp. Lord, make your words in our mouth fire. And may the plans of the enemy be as wood, consumed and devoured by that fire. Set ambushments against all those who are trying to interfere with and alter the outcome of this election. May confusion fill their camps as it did in the camps of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. May they devastate each other 
May their plans and agendas collapse at their feet. Just as you revealed to Elisha the plans of the Syrian army expose the plans of the liberals who are trying to corrupt this election. Father, as heirs of salvation, we ask that angels be dispatched to assist these things to be done. Angels, go to your assignments as the Father directs. Enforce the victories we have spoken this day and drive back the forces of evil. Father, we offer up prayer in the Spirit and ask that the Holy Spirit pray through us your perfect will concerning the outcome you desire for this election. Jesus, the government of your kingdom rests upon you. Likewise, I say that the government of this nation rests upon you. May the man the Father wants as our president be elected. May all the votes cast for him be brought to light. Father, this battle is not ours. It is yours. You are with us. O oh God, we praise you and we worship you for your mercy endureth forever. We praise you for the beauty of your holiness. We praise you for our salvation. We exalt you and glorify you for the victory in this election. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Now what we're going to do for the next several minutes, I'm just asking you to pray in the Spirit. Just pray in the Spirit. Like we've done on the Sunday nights. We're going to be doing that again tonight. Because guys, we are in a war. And I say we're going to win. What else should our confession be? So I'm asking you just to spend... I'll come back up in a little bit and uh, close out. But for now, for this next uh, bit of time, please just begin praying in the Spirit. Well, why don't you go ahead and stand? You know, if we could see in the Spirit what we are accomplishing when we pray in tongues, we would be more encouraged to, to spend time in that kind of prayer. But one of the reasons why that God doesn't you know, open a door for us to see that, because He wants us to believe by faith what He said in His Word is happening when we pray in the Spirit. It strengthens us. So I want to thank you tonight for your diligence. And, uh, you know, the truth is, we accomplish more during times like that than really what's accomplished in a sermon. But that doesn't mean we're going to stop preaching and teaching. <laughs> Hallelujah.